here at Grace, we set some goals, and we, we don't try to um, figure them out on our own. We ask God to come in and lead us in this direction. And so I'm about to read the goals for 2012. They're in your bulletin. You can pull them out and take a look at them with me. But our desire is that God would help us do this. Our other desire is this, that we wouldn't do these things on our own. If any of these things are done on our own, then they are of no value because God wasn't in it. And so as you see some of these goals, naturally you'll be, you'll be grafted or drawn towards. But let me just give a, 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 a word of caution here. I also believe this. It's real easy for Christ followers to have a passion for something, to meet with leadership or to meet someone at Grace to hear, here's my passion, you go do it. And then kind of hand it off and say, I clean my hands, I don't have any responsibility. You also will realize there might be some things on your own that God wants you to do that doesn't necessarily line up with grace. That's fine. It really is. But we can't promise you that we're going to do everything that you want to do because we want to be streamlined and we want to head in the direction that God wants us to go. All that to say this, you have responsibility personally to go after your passion. There are also some things here that you might say, wow, I'd like to be part of that or I'd pray towards that or become a person that helps fulfill the mission of Grace Community Church. So when you come to us, don't be surprised if you come and say, hey, man, join us. And don't, be, don't, don't, don't come and say, hey, I have these great ideas and then be disappointed if we don't necessarily come alongside of those. We might say, go do those. We, 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 we send you off and we're grateful for that. But you have to be refined in your focus so that you don't get too much stuff going on that you lose energy for the things that you believe God has called you to. With that being said, this is an audacious list. There's a lot of things that we desire to do as a church, and it's going to require your help. We can't do it alone. And so as I read these, see if there's something that lines up with your heart and begin to ask God how you can help live that out so that directly this community is impacted and literally globally the world is impacted. Not for us. All this is to give glory to Jesus Christ and to make him look good and to let him show off and not us show off. So here's our goals for 2012, and I'll read them to you. Assist 500 people to find new life in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Witness 200 Christ followers take the plunge into baptism. Push, prod, challenge, assist. Encourage every Christ follower to live to their redemptive potential. Launch memorable, life-changing big Sundays where men and women are on their knees in repentance. Become a fluid, prepared, and eager church that is ready for the return of Jesus. Host and provide events that assist followers of Christ to find financial freedom. Create events that equip married couples to fall deeply in love with their spouses. Help singles to flourish and find the calling God has placed on their lives so that they become fully alive in Jesus. Create an environment where forgiveness flourishes, bitterness is non-existent, where the past is past and grace overflows. Take the platform that Jesus has given us and reach the world for Jesus in uncommon ways through yet-to-be-seen methods. Stoke the fires of evangelism and snatch people from hell and create a fresh burden for the lost. Kick the devil's butt over and over and over and over and over and over again and remind him daily of Revelation ten twelve, where his destination is. Develop and create 10 uncommon blitzes that put craze, Jesus-loving Gracie's back on the streets of Goshen. 
Turn the tide on divorce numbers and set the pace as a church that keeps their commitment. Let this be the year where, where the disciplines of exercise and health permeate our lives so that we do not limit how God wants to use us. Rescue more orphans. Find ways to encourage our homes in Thailand and Cambodia and assist our children to become the next world changers for Jesus in Asia. Become a bright light in the workplace with our lives and carry a holy boldness to share the good news of Jesus. Assist Dream Ministries in building a new home to care for the disabled in our community. Develop a fresh hunger for God and his word. Give support, assist other churches with resources that we have homegrown. Be ready to move at a moment's notice when God speaks and join in where he is working. Become a church where each attendee freely and gladly gives 10% in offerings. Ignite prayer encounter where it becomes the talk of heaven. Destroy generational sins that have been passed down and pass down godliness to our children and their children. Dream new dreams, break old sin habits, build strong marriages, and witness uncommon victories in our families where it has been dry deserts for far too long. Find a miraculous way to pay off the building this year to position ourselves to do uncommon worldwide ministry for the poor, least of these, and overlooked. Raise up a brand new revolution of additional volunteers. Find the brightest, godliest, best administrative assistant and intern to add to our team. Locate and plant our feet on the next satellite location. Beg God to come through with the brand new ministry initiative with Andy so that we can reach people we have never reached before. Bypass our weekly need of 27,000 in offerings. Watch God do four unplanned, unknown, unseen miracles at Grace this year. Send out 10 short-term missions teams to impact the world for Jesus. Witness 100 new people who have never been on a short-term missions trip launch out and have every Grace member secure a passport so they are ready to go at a moment's notice. Send commission five new couples into full-time or short-time ministry. Come a place where people who once walked away from God come running back to him in droves because they see life change in Grace attendees. Utilize Facebook, Twitter, and other internet sources of fresh hubs to connect people to Grace Community and Jesus. Develop 300 fully trained men to set this community on fire for Jesus through the ministry of Fight Club. Establish an even larger hope impact for the incarcerated. Create an environment where women are valued, loved, find their beauty and identity in Jesus, and free to be who Christ wants them to be so that they can use their talents to change the world for Jesus. Produce men who lead their families, push back darkness, advance the kingdom of Jesus, and pass down a legacy of faithfulness. Become the greenhouse for young leaders so that children and teens can become the next world changers. Help each attendee seriously consider thinking yes instead of defaulting to the same excuses. Produce dreams that have yet to be dreamed, ministries that seem impossible, ideas that are incomprehensible, and worship services that leave us permanently changed forever. Build a new home for our rescued children in Thailand. See that this year, Pastor Jim finishes his book on men and pray that's used for God's glory to reach thousands of men. Develop a winner's mentality for every Christ follower that worships at grace. Let celebration, joy, fun, laughter, holiness, brokenness, hope, compassion, uncommonness, purity, faithfulness, evangelism, freedom, gratefulness, generosity, and a zest for life become core ingredients of Grace Community Church. Set aside pride and the need to be right and charge forward as one unified team, armed with the armor of God, fueled by the Holy Spirit so that the gates of hell are pushed back and the kingdom of God is advanced and souls are saved. Anybody want to be part of that in 2012?
It's an audacious request, but we have an incredible God. And so our desire is to see that happen. We'll move on to today's theme, today's message. And today's message is uncommon resolve. When you picture someone with an uncommon resolve or you picture resolved person, what comes to mind? In order for us as a church to accomplish these things, in order for us to see that happen, we need to have an uncommon resolve for holiness. We will never accomplish all that Christ wants us to be unless we have an uncommon resolve for holiness. The word resolve means this, a firm determination to do something. Have you ever seen someone who's determined to do something and they're not going to let anyone stop them? They know what they're supposed to do and they're going to do it regardless. They're not distracted by anything beside them and off they go to accomplish this mission that they have been found themselves wanting to do. Often during my, my lunch times, I'll go out and I'll sit outside. I like to be in creation. I like to be in the nature. I love being outside. I love hunting. I love spending time in the woods. And so when I get outside, I refuel. I love getting on my motorcycle and going for rides. I love running outside. I like bear, bear, uh, bear hunting in Alaska. It was a great year. It was, it was fun for me to be refueled. Thanks to Sam Armington for that. So I get outside. And one of the things I do, I watch creation. Before the winter came, I would often go over by the pond over here and I would either sit outside on the ground or I would sit in my Jeep and I'd just watch animals along the pond. And there happened to be goose, uh, a goose there and there was a whole bunch of geese, I should say, and, and ducks. And there was a blue herring that found itself on the shorelines of the pond. And as I was watching this blue herring, I was intrigued by its resolve to eat. It's resolved to find what it wanted to eat and not be distracted by everything that was happening around it. And so this blue herring stood there as if it was a painted picture, just almost lifeless, motionless. And I watched this bird literally just stand there, focused on the water, waiting for that moment when it could strike and get what it intended to get, to feed itself what it wanted to be fed. And so as I watched this amazing bird just stand there, just, it, was, it, was, it, it was just motionless, just as if it wasn't even there, waiting for a moment to strike. So I was watching it, found myself being resolved as that bird was resolved, just waiting to see when it would strike. And so I almost sat there motionless as this bird was motionless. And then out of nowhere, boom, it reached right in and grabbed something to munch on. It had a resolve, a determination to eat what it needed to eat. We must have that same kind of resolve for holiness in order to be all that God wants us to be. And as I consider this year, if we're to point people to Jesus Christ, our lives need to be on this path, on this narrow road that the gospels tell us about so that other people can see our lives and see the Christ that we love. But it's not easy to do that. Hebrews says it this way. Just listen to Hebrews. You don't need to turn there, but listen to what it says in Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since you and I, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race with perseverance. 
the race that's marked out for us. And so there's this sense we must have a resolve. This resolve is, I'm running this race. This is the lane that I'm headed on. I must not let the distractions around me, I must not let these traps around me hinder me from finishing this race well. Galatians 5, 7 says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? It's this sense, it's this runner that's running this race that knows where it's supposed to go and it's not hindered or distracted by the sin that so can easily entangle that person. We must realize that we're opposed in this life. We're just not in this race, and we're not going to think that somehow we're just going to run this race. It's going to be easy and that we're not going to be attacked. You will be opposed. You will be opposed. You will be opposed. You will be opposed. And all along the way, there are these traps that are set. The Bible says, don't let that hinder you, and don't get entangled in sin. The best way I can visualize that is grabbing this net today. Let me just show you what I mean. The picture is this. All through our lives and all through this journey that we're about to run on are all of these nets, all of these traps that are set. And the author of Hebrews says it this way. Don't let this, don't let this net, don't let this sin entangle you. Yet some of you are running the race like this. You have this picture here. It is, oh God, may this be the year that I have breakthrough, God. May this be the year that, that you come through in my marriage. May this be the year, God, that, that with your help that this business is flourishing. God, may this be the year that I do this. And so you're entangled in the sin. And all the while you're saying, God, why haven't you come through? And God is saying, don't let those sins along the way that you run to keep you entangled so that you can't do what I want you to do. And the truth is this, some of you walked in here today, you worship God today. Oh God, Hosanna, I love you. Oh God, I love you. And you are hindered in sin. You are entangled in sin. And you think, man, why aren't I seeing God? Am I not seeing God work in a special way? It's because you lost sight of the goal. And you've let these traps along the way entangle you in order for us to be a holy bride. We cannot let these traps along the way pull us in and entangle us. Let me just ask you a question. How many of you right now know that you're entangled in sin? How many of you spent time this week going down a path and you took a right instead of a left? And you walked on the wrong path and you found yourself on this wide road that leads to destruction. And you have this secret sin and you're wondering, man, God, why don't you come through? And where's God at? How many of you can remember and look back on a time in your life and say, man, I was running the race and who cut in on me and kept me from obeying the truth? But you've learned from it. Listen, you will not run this race unopposed, especially when it comes to holiness. So the question for us is, how do we stay away? What must we do? How can we be reminded to stay away from these traps that are out there? Well, there was a man in the Bible that was destined for greatness. And when I say greatness, not only greatness, his life was marked out ahead of time. He was supposed to run this race well, and God had marked him out before he was even born. He said, this man will be set apart to lead Israel, and yet... He found himself getting entangled in sin. Grab your Bibles and we're going to take a look at this man. Turn to Judges chapter 13. 
Judges chapter 13. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Judges chapter 13. This man was destined for greatness before he was even born. God marked his life out. He was supposed to lead the nation of Israel in a holy way. But in Judges chapter 13, let's set this story of a man who was destined but got sidetracked by some sin. And he lost his resolve for holiness. Judges chapter 13, stand with me. We'll read verses 1 through 5 of Judges chapter 13. Let's read it together. Judges 13, verses 1 through 5. Let's read it. Ready? Read out loud with me. Ready? Read. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zor named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, but that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from the birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. You may have a seat. In the book of Numbers, it gives us what the requirements were for a Nazarite. He wasn't supposed to drink any wine. He wasn't supposed to eat grapes. He wasn't supposed to get a haircut. And if he did sin, they were to shave his head and his hair would begin growing, but they were supposed to offer an un, or an, a, 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 a perfect lamb as an, a sacrifice for the sins that he committed. This man was to be set apart. This person, a Nazareth was, woman, was to be set apart for Nazareth. And this man named Samson had a mark on his life. God said, he will begin the deliverance. Now, that's an incredible responsibility. That's like someone walking into your, your, the, the hospital and your child is just born and saying, your child will deliver the United States of America. There is a mark on their life, a calling on their life. And so, hey, make sure that happens. Can you feel the responsibility even the parents felt? This child is marked out to be the deliverer of Israel. But make sure that you don't drink any wine. Make sure that he gets down the Nazarite vow. Make sure he stays away from cutting his hair. Make sure he sets himself apart for holiness. That's the purpose of the Nazarite vow. So Samson is born. And in chapter 13 and verse 25, it says this. Turn to 13 and verse 25. 24 says, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew up. And the Lord did what with him? What's it say? Blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to what in him? Stir in him while he was at Mahanat Dan between Zorah and Ashtael. So the spirit began to move inside of him. He was born. He was set apart. And he was going to be the deliverer of the Israelites from the Philistine oppression. Judges chapter 14. Look at verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah. Look what it says. Saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among our, our people? 
Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? In other words, you're not supposed to go there, Samson. Marry an Israelite. You're supposed to be set apart for holiness. You're not supposed to go and marry someone who worships a pagan god. Right away, we see Samson's going to be in trouble. The trap is out there. He soon will be entangled in sin because he's not fulfilling the vow of being set apart or being holy. Look what happens next. But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents, parentheses, did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at that time, they were ruling over Israel. Let me just back up and also say this too. Sometimes God uses our sinful weaknesses to accomplish his will. But that doesn't give us permission to go sin so he can turn it into good. In this case, Samson is choosing to do something that he shouldn't. But God is going to turn it into good so that he can have inroads with the Philistines. So anyhow, Samson goes, he gets married, and there's a party that pursues. I'll give you a little background here. Out of this party, Samson gives a riddle to the Philistines. He says, if you can answer this riddle, I will give you something. They can't answer the riddle. And so they get upset because they can't get the riddle. So they go to Samson's Philistine wife and said, give us the answer. We're in trouble if you don't give us the answer. His wife feels the pressure. She goes to Samson and says, please tell me the answer to this riddle. And so they undermine her. She goes to Samson. And because of this, Samson finds himself with a group of men who now know the answer and he has to pay up. And one of the ways he has to pay up is by giving clothes to 30 individuals. So Samson does what he's good at. He's a strong person. He goes and he kills 30 of the Philistines. So if I owe you some, he goes out, kills them, strips the clothes off of them, says, here, here's your 30 sets of clothes. That wasn't how they thought it was supposed to work out. So now you have this group of Philistines who are upset with Samson. Samson is in a place where he shouldn't be. He's entangled in sin. He's not set apart for, for holiness. His wife is in trouble too because she's a Philistine. Now they're upset with her because she's married to him. They're upset with the dad, the father-in-law of Samson because he's connected too. Anyhow, Samson's, look at chapter 14 and verse 19. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. He went down to Ashkelon, look what he does. Went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. Let me back you up on a little custom here. This is really amazing. I'm glad we don't do this anymore. Well, maybe you would be glad. I don't know. If you're coming to a wedding, a Philistine wedding, and you're the bride and you're walking your way down, your groom is standing there waiting for you. It's very significant to know who the best man is. Because during this custom, if once you marry this man, if he dies, he's gone, you get the best man as your next husband. So that really changes who you have your fiance choose as the best man, doesn't it? Can you pick him just in case? I mean, just. <laughs> so you're making sure you're looking at that bridal party saying, no, not the guy on the end, not that guy. Can he be the best man? 
So not only are you making vows, you're looking over and checking him out. So what had happened is while Samson was away, his father-in-law went and gave his daughter, who was Samson's bride, away to the best man. Samson goes there, and it says in verse 20, and Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. So it's not a good picture right now. So Samson is upset. He wants his wife back. So God is about to use his sin to rule over the Philistines. So you know what he does? He gets, he gets upset. He goes out and grabs three clutches, 300 foxes. By the way, that's incredible. Have you ever tried to catch one fox? He went out and caught 300 foxes, ties their tails together. How in the world do you corral 300 foxes? He was a man with amazing strength. One of a kind. Ties all their tails together, sends them out into the village, burns down all their, their, their crops. They're upset a little bit, rightly so. Now, I know, are they upset? He's upset, they're upset. His father-in-law during this time and his wife, because the Philistines are upset, they lose their lives. They go in and they kill Samson's wife or his ex-wife and they kill his ex-father-in-law. They burn them. And so it's one big mess. He is spinning out of control. Meanwhile, he goes out and grabs the jawbone of an animal and begins to slay some Philistines, kills a thousand Philistines. He's ticked, he's mad, he lost his wife. And so he kills a thousand of them. Things are spinning out of control for this man who was set apart for God. But one little thing in his life, one little step, one little trap, now has him off of this path that God had intended him to walk on. Verse 19 says this, chapter 14 and verse 19. Take a look at this. Chapter 14 and verse 19, or 15 and verse 19. Well, back to verse 15. After he kills the thousand Philistines, he was very thirsty, it says. He cried out to the Lord, 15, 18. You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called An Hakor, which means water place in Hakor. And it is still there in Lehi. Then it says this, God restored him. God came through. And in verse 20, it says, Samson led Israel for how many years? What's it say? 20 years. He gets back on track. So this is picture. This is before he meets the woman called Delilah. So you have this man who was just all entangled in sin. He was supposed to be set apart to be the deliverer of the Philistines. Yet he got entrapped and entangled and hindered by this net that was set out there. And now he goes and he serves. All the Bible says he served for 20 years. So he must get back on track. So you would think after what just happened to him, that he would go back and set himself apart and become this holy man serving God. But yet, one look can shortcut your resolve for holiness and my resolve for holiness. One look is about to turn Samson's life all upside down after 20 faithful years. Let me just say it this way. You could have 20 good days with God. All it takes is one look. You could have 10 weeks are really good with God and all it takes is one poor decision and you will find yourself off of this path and entangled in sin. Look at chapter 16 and verse one. 
Chapter 15 and verse 20 says, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. What are the first two words of chapter 16? Read them with me. Ready, read. One day. Isn't that what it takes? One moment. One day. One look. One second. One minute. One hour. One pause. Taking our eyes off of holiness and set apart for God. One little look. One day can destroy 20 years of faithfulness. And it says this. One day, Samson went to Gaza. By the way, you don't go to Gaza when you're an Israelite. Because that's where the Philistines are. And it says this. Where he saw one look, a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place because they remembered him. That story was still legend 20 years, even later. Samson is here. So they surrounded the place, lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night saying, at dawn, we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. By the way, uh, scholars tell us these things weighed close to a thousand pounds. He just picks them up. He wants to show his strength. Picks them up, walks to the edge of the city, puts them down. I mean, this guy had amazing strength. Philistines knew this. And so they wanted to get him out of the way. Then it says this in verse four. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorig, whose name was what? What's the name? Delilah. 20 years of faithfulness. He takes one step off the path, gets entangled in sin, goes and sleeps with the prostitute. And it's like, here we go again. So he's supposed to be leading. He's supposed to be faithful. He's supposed to be walking down this path. He's supposed to be set apart, having nothing to do with this. And he finds himself in some strip club in Gaza, sleeping with a prostitute, no longer set apart for God. All it takes is one poor decision. You know, it's easy for us to think that we're stronger than we really are. Let me try to demonstrate this to you for a second here. Many of you, and all of us at points in our lives, have thought that we were stronger than what we really think we are. And so we think, well, I can go to this spot, I can go to this place, and I can spend time there, and I'm strong enough. And yet the Word of God gives us all kinds of warnings. It says, bad company corrupts good character. Also, it encourages us to be careful when we go into the marketplace, be a light in the world but don't adapt their patterns and their ways and their sinful habits. And so for some of us, it's real easy for us, it really is, it's real easy for us to kind of just go to a spot and say, I'll be okay. This vacuum cleaner is is made to clean up. And so it's made, if you stay on a spot long enough, if you stay on it long enough and long enough and long enough, It'll pick up the dirt that it's intended to pick up. But here's what we like to do. We find ourselves and we think, you know what? I'm strong enough. And all around us is this vacuum that wants to suck us in and pull us off the path. And we think, wow, first pass through, 
I didn't get sucked in. I must be strong enough. I can go back there. God, I'm strong enough. And God's saying, avoid that spot. Stay away from that spot. And so first pass through, we don't get caught. Second pass through, we don't get caught. Third pass through, we don't get caught. But if you stay there long enough, you know what happens? You will get sucked away. Samson finds himself in the same situation. You know, he thought he was strong enough. He forgot about those 20 years of faithfulness and what he did. He had to set apart. He thought, you know, if I go down there, I'll be okay. But the longer he stood there, and some of you are just like that. You are finding yourself staying in that spot. Well, I didn't get sucked in that time. And you think, I can go back there. I'm strong enough. I didn't get sucked in that second time. I didn't get sucked in that third time. But all it takes is that one pass through and you could be sucked in and no longer set apart. I really encourage you to ask some hard questions today. Where are you spending your time? Are you spending your time in dangerous territory thinking that you are strong enough without any accountability, without anybody helping you there, and without finding any resolve to say, I need to run from this. I don't need to belong here. Samson finds himself in a spot that he shouldn't be in. Goes down to Gaza again. And I want to say, Samson, you're not strong enough around beautiful women. You will get sucked in. And this would become a fatal distraction for Samson. All of us are destined for greatness. God wants nothing less than that for us. Yet we must choose not to be distracted by the traps and nets along the way. Because sometimes this distraction can bring us to a screeching halt. And we don't live to the potential that God intended us to live to. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says it this way. Don't turn there. It says this. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. One version says, take heed lest you should fall. What that is saying is, don't let pride get in the way of thinking, well, I can stay here. I'm strong enough with no accountability around you and say, I'm strong enough. Take heed. The Bible also said pride comes before a fall. Ask yourself this question right now. What areas are you toiling in that you know you shouldn't be in? Ask the spirit of God to say, to tell you, where are you spending time? Maybe no one knows about it. You didn't get caught that time by your wife. You didn't get caught that time by your husband. You didn't get caught that time by your mom. You didn't get caught that time by your dad. And there you go back again. Sooner or later, you will get sucked in. Samson gets sucked in. All those warning signs from his past. And yet he gets sucked in. So Delilah is a wise woman. She's going to take advantage of this situation. She's a Philistine. She doesn't have loyalty to Yahweh or to the God that you and I love. She worships a pagan God that's built upon lies. Look at verse chapter 16. Look what happens in verse 5. Look what happens in verse 5. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overcome him and overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. 
Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. Now, pause here for a second. Each one of them would give her 1,100 shekels. The average Philistine woman during this time would get 10 shekels a day. They're offering her 1,100 shekels from each one of them. This was an incredible investment for her. She doesn't love Samson. She sees him as a way to make money. Look what happens next. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength, baby, how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have not been dry, I become as weak as any other man. Verse eight, then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh thongs that had been dried, had not been dried. And she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. By the way, he was supposed to be leading Israel, but right now he's entangled in this net of sin down in Gaza, distracted, no longer on a path of holiness, having guys ready, wanting to kill him, having a woman selling him out. Look what happens next. Look at verse 10. Then Deliah said to Samson, you have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. Verse 12. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called him. By the way, wouldn't you begin to look in the closets by now if you were him? These guys were like popping out of the closet. I mean, just, he is so distracted by this woman. Look on with me. Then men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. His resolve for holiness is set aside for sin. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Can you imagine the conversations with his buddies that day? Hey, how'd your date go last night? Well, she, I went out with this girl. First night went out. You know, man, she's gorgeous. Knock dead gorgeous. Well, great. How'd it go? Well, she tried to kill me. Okay. So what'd you do about that? I went out with her again. It was great. So you went out with her again. How'd the second night go? Well, she tried to kill me again. And when you say this guy, dude, you got women issues. Get rid of this lady. But we become so blinded by sin that what we think we have is so much better than holiness in pursuing God. Colossians 3.5 gives us a warning. Turn to Colossians 3.5 and keep your finger here in Judges. Colossians 3.5. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. By the way, can you imagine Samson going back to his mom and dad's? Hey, I met a new girl down in Gaza. Well, tell me about her. Well, um, I went out with her. She just keeps trying to tie me up and have guys kill me. So you're going out with her again? Yeah, I think I'm strong enough. Dude, leave the woman immediately. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 5. The word of God says this. It says, put to what? Death. Therefore, whatever becomes belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. 
Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with his practices and put on the new self. The word gives us a reminder. Put these things off. Put them to death. Kill them. Or otherwise, you won't finish the path and the race like Christ intended you to finish. You and I are not supposed to be sin managers, in other words. But we like being sin managers, don't we? It's like, well, God, I got like seven out of eight things down really good. I'm good for seven days. It's just that one woman down there. It's just that one man. It's just that one enticement here. God, I'm really good. We're never supposed to be sin managers. One spot of sin contaminates everything. Let me demonstrate if I, if I can to you right now. An enclosed bottle of fresh water at the right time just tastes really good. It's pure. It's refreshing. It's intended to refuel us. It's set apart to do something good for us. And so if you drink a bottle of pure water, it refuels you. There's nothing about that that's dangerous. However, if you decided to take this fresh water and pour it into a container, you could still drink that. That's, that's good water. It's fresh. It's spotless. It's pure. It's blameless. It's set apart from sin. It's good for you. It would not harm you. But if you decided to add like one little bit of bleach, maybe a little more, and you just decided to add that to this water, on the outside, it doesn't look so bad, does it? It's because it looks similar and it doesn't doesn't look bad on the outside. Sometimes sin comes that way. Oh, that's not so bad. But if you decided to, to drink that, one drop of bleach into pure water will contaminate everything. And so what we've done, here's what we've done as Christians. God, it's not so bad. I got like six things in order, but that one area I don't have down. God, look how holy I am. Let me tell you, one drop poisons the whole bottle. Seriously, think about that. Now, decided, if you decided to market this, and you took that bleach water that's been contaminated, or water that's been contaminated with bleach, and you decided to bottle it up and package it. So aside, you don't not a real big difference there. There really isn't. I mean, but if you gave that to someone, you said, here, enjoy that water. It would kill them. Our lives aren't meant to be contaminated. The word of God says, put to death. The reason is, if you don't put it to death, it'll put you to death. Our lives are meant to be set apart and holy. And when they are, your life is refueled and refreshed. But some of us, are good at managing sin. Oh, Pastor Jim, I'm not so bad. Last year at this time, I was only robbing six 7-Elevens. 
But you know what? Now I'm down to one. Praise God. Look at my life. It's blameless and holy. No. Robin 1711 will put you to death. Samson is right here. He's supposed to be right here. And the reason he is, is because he hung around here too long. And then he became entangled in sin. So what happens as a result of that? Look what's about to happen to Samson. Look at chapter 16 and verse 14. He's hanging around too long. Samson, you want to say, run from sin. Flee sexual immorality. Run, Samson, run. Verse 13, Delilah said to Samson, until now you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, if you weave seven braids of my head into a fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pen, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, by the way, this dude must have been a heavy sleeper. Seriously, while he's sleeping, she's just weaving his hair into a loom, just, you know, just, and he's just snoring away. Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with the pen. Again, she said, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pen and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. He should have pulled away and said, woman, be gone. The Bible says to run and flee from sexual immorality. But verse 16 says, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to what? Death. After a while, he said, woman, shut up. And so he was tired of the nagging, tired of the nagging, tired of the nagging instead of being on holiness, a path to holiness. He was entangled in sin. He could no longer see how horrible decisions that he was making and he was about to fall a sin unto death. And so he says he was tired to death. And then it says this in verse 17. So he told her how much? What's it say? Everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. And I want to say, oh, Samson, have you really been set apart since birth? If my head were shaved, my strength would, have, would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. Then it says this. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. I want to say, you can't dance with the devil too long or you will fall. Colossians 3.5 says that you and I are supposed to be armed. We're supposed to put sin to death. The picture is when you see this temptation, when you see this area in your life, you're supposed to kill it. Literally, you're supposed to be armed. You're supposed to be a lethal weapon to sin. Knives are awesome, by the way. You're supposed to put stuff to death. Kill it. If you haven't put sin to death, the sin will come back and put you to death. 
So the picture is this, this sin that so easily is entangling you. You're supposed to be armed. You're supposed to be putting it to death. You're supposed to be cutting it loose from your life so it doesn't impact your life in a negative way. Listen to me. What area in your life right now must you put to death or will it put you to death? A person set apart for holiness is armed and ready at a moment's notice to put sin to death. Samson wasn't that that condition in his life. He was far away from God because of one look. And fatal distractions have severe consequences. Look at verse 19. Having put him to sleep on her lap. By the way, this is the fourth time. She called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair. Listen. This dude is in a deep sleep. Shaves his hair. And look what happens. And his strength left him. She then called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from a sleep and thought, there's where he went wrong. Instead of acting, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then it says this in verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in prison. So picture him. His eyes are gouged out. He has the remnants of sin. I mean, even I do. I got bleach on my shirt in the first service. You hang around sin, it will mark you. You will be scarred by it. There's this picture of him. He's supposed to be the deliverer. He was marked out as God's righteous man. But he let all this All these things hinder him, distract him, entangle him from being the man that God intended him to be. And now he'll never see another beautiful woman again in his life because they gouged out his eyes. And he's in the enemy's camp in prison, grinding grain. But our resolve falls way short of God's resolve to see us finish strong. Samson's life ends in a direction that most don't. Look at verse 22. Remember, his head is shaved. It says this in verse 22. But the what on his head began to grow. I want to say, uh-oh, we're, we're in trouble. Grace enters the scene When hair begins to grow on Samson, God's grace, his resolve to put us back, to stand us back up and get us back on that path and to finish this race. God's resolve for us for holiness is stronger than our own resolve for holiness. And praise God for that, that he doesn't give up on us. And here's the picture of grace coming into the scene. He knew who he could be. And he's going to say, Samson, I'm giving you another chance. So he can't see. He's in this prison and he's grinding in the effects of his life with gouged out eyes. But his hair begins to grow. Grace jumps into this beautiful picture of sin. And then it says this in verse 23. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. And to celebrate, saying, our God has delivered Samson. 
our enemy into our hands. Verse 24. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and killed a thousand with a jawbone and multiplied our slain. Verse 25. While they were high in spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars. Guys, hear me. Just please hear me. Listen to me. Don't end up where he ended up. Yes, God can intervene. Yes, God can restore, and he does all the time. But listen, don't limit the impact that God wanted to give and do through you your entire life. Don't shortchange all the stuff that God wanted to do. So there he is, and, and his hair is growing, and they're mocking his God, and Samson hears it. Now he's set apart. Now he understands the call in his life. Now he realizes, I can get back on this path and finish strong. And so he does this. Look at verse 26. Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can fill the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. And I want to interject Jim Brown paraphrase. Don't put a man named Samson with hair that's growing between two pillars with his hands on them. Verse 27. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Hear me, Grace. God does not or will not abandon his flawed servants. Praise God for grace. Then it says that Samson prayed to the Lord. Oh, sovereign Lord, just remember me one more time. Oh, God, please. Can you just feel him standing there? He heard the mockery taking place, making fun of Yahweh. Please, God, strengthen me just one once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died, then while he lived, he went out with victory. And he also fulfilled the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was this. If you committed a sin, you shaved your head, and then you offered an unblemished lamb to the altar as a sacrifice. Samson's hair began to grow, yet he hadn't offered a sacrifice. You know what he did? He offered his own life as a sacrifice. He went out in great victory, but I got to ask this question. Did he fall way short of what God truly had intended for his life because of one look, one distraction, one sin? Listen to me, Grace. One sin blemishes and has consequences. In order for you and I to accomplish uncommon things this year, we must run from sin. We must only spend time with pure, holy, 
blameless moments. You can't be a sin manager and expect God to come through for you. So I ask you this question. What's entangling you? What are you doing that no one knows about or maybe does know about? And you're asking God for breakthrough when all the while he's saying, put this to death. Get back on this path and repent and go in an opposite direction and set apart holiness. Then and only then will I do uncommon things in your life. God help us today. I know in this room that there are sin managers. And they go through a cycle, good for seven days, but then that one look, that one thing, where they don't have any accountability, where they're trying to do it all by themselves, entangles them. They get off the path and they're sidetracked. I pray, God, for this group, I pray that there would be a brokenness for holiness. Let me just say this. If you're in this room today and you're in the link and you're watching via the internet and you're expecting to have a close relationship with Christ and the only way it happens is by repenting of your sin and choosing to go in an opposite direction. So I challenge you today. Go before God. Ask the spirit of God to reveal those things. That one area, that's two areas or three areas. Repent of them. Ask for forgiveness. Put accountability around you and the individual that help you and tell you and help you on this path and run with holiness and brokenness and repentance and watch God. You do amazing, uncommon things through your life. God, may this be the year that we have a resolve for holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week. God bless you.